don't know if you guys have ever seen or had any other journalists compare it to, to Basketball, the 90s film with um, creators of South Park. Where they Never heard it. I've never heard of that. I like South Park, but I've never heard of that. That's one to add to the list then, I guess. But any, anyway. <laughs> Basketball, I like that. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. So, what's it like to launch a new sport in the 21st century? Where do you even start? That, basically, is what we're going to be talking about today with Christian and Damien DeVoe, the co-founders of World Chase Tag. It is, as it sounds, a codified version of the playground game with a chaser pursuing an evader across a 12-metre square quad for 20 seconds. The winner of each encounter is awarded a point for their team. Those are the basics. The result? Well, it's probably worth checking out for yourself. It's like a claustrophobic burst of parkour, played out under lights for videos on social media and broadcasters including ESPN, NBC, Channel 4 and Japan's Fuji TV and NHK. The series is still very much in its commercial infancy, but its journey even to this point has been pretty remarkable, literally starting in a back garden before being taken out to the world. Some of the issues they've encountered in the past few years mirror those facing a lot of sports organisations right now. Understanding where their athletes are coming from, company structure and the strategy regarding partnerships and international expansion, developing licensing and IP, and above all, getting people excited about World Chase Tag. At the same time, they've found themselves dealing with quandaries that older sports have had decades to work through, but they also have a freedom to tackle problems that comes with starting from scratch. It's a conversation like maybe none we've had before on the podcast. Hopefully, you'll find it thought-provoking and a lot of fun. We've been delighted, actually, to find that more and more people have been listening to the Sports Pro podcast in the last month. Welcome to you if you're a newcomer. Welcome back if you've been with us all along. We appreciate you. Quick favour though, if you are enjoying the pod, then please do subscribe, leave us a nice rating and review on your podcast channel, like and share the content we're putting out on social media, and join in the conversation yourself with the hashtag SportsProPod. We're always trying to make the podcast better here and looking for ways to get our listeners more involved, but of course, we'd love to keep building that community as well. Anyway, that is more than enough from me for now. We've got a lot to get through with World Chase Tags, Christian and Damien DeVoe. Christian and Damien DeVoe, co-founders of World Chase Tag, welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Thank you very much. It's a good pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Great to have you both with us. Um, yeah, I know. I understand the two of you have, have not been too well in the last few weeks. I hope you're, you're doing better and, uh, and, and bouncing back and, and raring to go. Um, we've got yeah, a lot to get through about basically the story of, of creating a sport in the 21st century and everything that that's entailed and, and kind of what you've learned from it and, and all the rest. But I think it will benefit a lot of people listening to, to start at the beginning. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the kind of origin story of, of World Chase Tag, but what is it, first of all? What's, what's the, um, what are the rules of the game for, for anybody who is not familiar? Well, it's basically, it's basically elite level tag. Basically, um, and that's how you that's how you describe it. It's one of the oldest sports or games um, in the world, and um, we get a lot of sort of the best quality athletes we can to chase against each other. It's a team sport. How we uh, the most popular format is the team sport. Um, each team has up to six athletes, and we have one on one chases. So there's one person from each team. One person is a chaser, and one person is the evader, and um, they're split into twenty second chases. And you get a point if you can last 20 seconds without getting caught. And basically how it works is that the winner always stays on as the evader. So if I'm coming on to chase and I tag my opponent, I stay on as the evader. And um, you get one point if you can last 20 seconds without getting caught. And it basically works like a kind of, um, like a, yeah, like a winner stays on. And each match is the best of 16 chases. And that's, that's kind of the basics of it, really. So it's a very fast-paced sport. And it kind of suits social media because the chases are very short. And the um, and each match is about usually works out to be between about um, eight to twelve minutes. So, um, like you're saying, you know, a sport for the 21st century. So it's very we try to make it very short and very snappy, and hopefully an exciting, fun sport to watch. Christian, what's the how, how did you come up with that? Because it, 
you know, we, we, we'll talk about the process of refining it and codifying. I mean, you're codifying a playground game, which is kind of quite fun in itself. And you've ended up with this spectacle that's kind of somewhere between parkour and, uh, you know, I don't know, gladiators. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but where, where did it all where did it all begin? It kind of just started in the back garden. Um, I have a son who is really into um, just like tag and just like chasing around and stuff. And he didn't want to do any of the normal sports that like I did, like football or cricket, you know, when I was young. And uh, so he just wanted to chase. And so we used to, our games of tag, they were kind of fun. And we, uh, we used to put different obstacles, like a bin and a bench and stuff like that. And then it kind of just expanded out. And then one day, which was the sort of maybe the the eureka moment, he he, uh, he said as he was getting older, he reckoned he could he was better than me at tag, right? And so he said, yeah. And so we tried to figure out a way to prove who is better at who at tag. He was about eight at the time, by the way, and um and so I, I felt that I did need to prove him wrong. So basically, we got two iPhones, um, one that counted down a minute, and then the other one was someone would wait on the touchline and they would just um, press start and stop every time one of the athletes, um, one of the competitors was on tag. So in the, once the minute had finished of the one timer, you look back at the other timer. And if your tag time was more than 30 seconds, then you were the loser. The other one had a, like a shorter tag time, you know? So, and you, obviously you needed tag backs. And, um, and I thought, wow, that would be really good. Imagine if you had like elite level athletes playing that. That would just look awesome, you know? And, um, but I didn't think anything of it at the time because I was working, my background is in hotels and I was working full time. And so when that job came to an end, I started to think about what to do. And I thought, maybe this is a good time to maybe start this and see what happens. So I, I did some research. Um, I found a patent lawyer and I patented a timing system based on what we had done, which is kind of useless unless you have a sport to apply it to. So that's kind of where the journey began is trying to create a sport so that and we sort of did it like backwards, you know, because the, we, we let the sort of patent try to dictate. So I'd started, I started a meetup group in Hyde Park with my son and we would just use barrier tape around trees and that sort of thing. And then, um, and then as we came out, like we went from there and that was in summer we started. Then we went into like a parkour gym. We started to get more things. And then the parkour gym wasn't about right. And then Damon was in Japan. Damon came back and then we decided, look, let, let's try this properly. So we got some scaffolding and um, we just basically made a quad that we thought would be the ideal quad. And we, we said, what we'll do is we'll get some parkour athletes and we'll put them on the quad and see what happens. And, and we 100% decided that in this day and age, if a sport doesn't look good, there's no point. It could be fun to play and it could be a good idea and everything, but it, if it doesn't look good, just forget about it. And, and we decided, we spent about 5,000 on the scaffolding and we thought, okay, you know, it's, the scaffolding is good to have because like, you could always do other stuff with it. So we, um, we said, if the athletes don't look good, we were 100% going to walk away. We gave ourselves two dates with about three weeks in between to refine the obstacles if the first one didn't go. And um, the first, so they warmed up and we thought, yeah, this is looking good. And we were very lucky that we, we happened upon a guy called Kai Willis, who was in a team called Storm. And he found four athletes from Storm and he found four athletes from Stora. And just to let you know who Stora is, for those of you that might not know, at the time, Stora had about 100,000 or they had about 50,000 followers on YouTube. Today, Stora have over 7 million subscribers on YouTube. They're the, the biggest parkour team. So we were very lucky to get these. And the athletes in, in Storm were equally good. And um, the first chase, we saw them warming up. We thought, yeah, I think this is going to be good. And then the very first chase, um, a guy called Ashley Holland, he turned around and hit his head. And he cut, he put his hand like that. He's like, oh. And then I remember just seeing blood coming through his fingers. I was like, oh, no. This is like, you know. And then so we went into the bathroom, mopped him up. And um, we didn't have any, we just had a first aid kit, 
rather than a like medical, which is sort of lesson number one. And then, um, and then the second chase, we just thought, holy shit, right from the beginning, we realized my, this looks absolutely amazing. We made a few refinements, but like when we came back three weeks later, it was awesome as well. And we always thought as well, right from the first day when Christian um, was talking about the iPhones and timing it, that eureka moment, we kind of thought at that point, yeah, if done properly, this could be really, really entertaining to watch. So I think we always knew at some point that, yeah, this, if, if it's done right, this could be good. And that day kind of confirmed it, um, that first session we had. But after that, after that first thing, so we had at any one time on the field, we had um, six athletes and it was like traditional tag. The tag was passed from player to player. And then we had six people off the quad with stopwatches, each timing how long that player was on tag. But we realized if there was a mistake with the referees and, you know, it was very confusing to then go back and rectify that mistake. And another thing we noticed, so from a referee point of view and a timing point of view, it was very complicated. And we also realized that from a filming point of view, it was very difficult to tell who was on tag. So sometimes it's very confusing and there was no sort of focus of attention. Um, and if you look at something like dodgeball, when that first starts and you have, I don't know much about the rules, but let's say you have like, um, you know, five people on each team and they're all throwing balls around the place. It's very difficult to sort of know what's going on. And we found the same thing with our version when there were like six people on the quad. So we thought, and it was kind of flawed because, um, sometimes people could sort of gang up on one person and sort of make sure he was always on tag. And so we sort of started to refine the rules a bit. And that's when we came up with the kind of winner stays on and, the, you know, the one chase or one evader kind of thing. Another thing we noticed as well is that when they get tired, if one athlete gets tired and he's on tag, the whole game kind of grinds to a halt because there's just he can't get rid of the tag. So that's when we also changed the, um, the chases down to 20 seconds. And so we made some refinements to the format. Um, and then we started, we continued with the meetups from there and just refined that form and, format again and again and again. And then in December 2016, we had our first event. And, um, and that, uh, the quad design, um, so the quad is the arena we play on. Um, the quad design, that was quite, because it was our first event, we did a couple of practice sessions doing the one-on-one chases. It went quite well in the practice sessions, but when we actually went to the, and did the proper event, we found that the, the level of athletes was much more similar. They're much more competitive. They're much more hyped up and people were getting caught very, very quickly. And so even from that first event, a lot of refining happened even from the first event. And we weren't really happy with the chases from the first event, but we put at one of the chases um, from that. The first full chase we put out um, on social media, um, I think we put it out on the 1st of January 2017. And within about three days, we'd had, um, I think we'd got more than a million views, which at the time for us was like much more than anything we'd ever done from before, you know. So I think um, those were the two sort of key moments in refining the kind of format, um, you know, from a multiplayer system to a much more focused one-on-one chases. Yeah, what's what's the timeline for that then? So that's from about the start of the decade to to 2017. We're talking where you're uh, where you have that first kind of breakout bit. No, it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. It's probably two years. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, if not a year. Um, what was the difference between? Um, well, like when we when we were just doing it in the garden. This was probably like 2008 or something like that, but nothing, I didn't do anything with it. I, I, and I didn't start, I think I, I think the patent itself runs from um, t- like June 2014, something like that. So um, we started the meetup group, yeah, that summer, 2014. But I started to think about seriously the, like doing the, the whole concept early 2013 or late uh, late 13 or early 14 um but the the test shoot that we did was in 2015 and then the first event was in 2016 it's an amazing story just on its face it's it's uh you know the a proper homebrew sport i don't know if you guys have ever seen or had any other journalists compare it to to basketball the 90s film with um creators of south park were they never heard it i've never heard of that i like south park i never heard of that that's one to add to the list then i guess but any, anyway <laughs> basketball i like that <laughs> but anyway um what were your what were your ambitions for it initially what was, was it was this a case of we can patent something that's like a physical leisure activity or did you always have the uh the, the broadcasting in mind when we were in the garden 
the ambition was to like beat my son and prove to him <laughs> that you know I'm still better, right? That's where all the great achievements start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but as we, as I in 2014, you know, when I when I was in between jobs, you know, I dis, I, I made a, a very clear decision that actually I was going to pursue this as a career. So. Yeah, it is a slightly strange thing to do because I, I did have a good job, um, but this is what um, I decided to do at this moment in time because the I felt that the opportunity was there, and and I decided to pursue it. So right from the beginning, I was clear about what we're trying to do, and and my goal is kind of still the same. It's to do what we're doing and make it sustainable for all of the people involved in that. And when I say all. I mean, um, not just like myself and Damien, who are the, the only full-time employees, but for the what I call like the wider ecosystem, so that everybody that participates in Chase Tag in some capacity, whether you uh, whether you're involved as an athlete or whether you own a gym and, and you're doing classes or you're an instructor, you know, or if you're like one of the partners that we have that come and sponsor the event, these are all part of the ecosystem, and these are. You know, the goal is always to get it to the stage where that whole community is profitable. And from a, from a company point of view, um, because we were kind of, when we started it, we were kind of working in a vacuum. There was no kind of reference points to, um, you know, work towards or anything like that. And we were constantly being pulled in different directions. Once we started to release stuff on social media, like a lot of people, a lot of American TV companies were asking us um, to, if they want to collaborate on some sort of Ninja Warrior style TV program around tag. And they always used to start off um, saying, oh yeah, we want to get good athletes and this. And then after a while, it always, they'd all, it, the conversation would always go to the direction of kind of dumbing it down to getting, oh yeah, let's get a kind of a not so fit guy or an old guy against a really good guy and it'd be funny and we started to think this just isn't what we want to do. So we really tried to focus on what our aim was as a company. And we realized, you know, we never really thought we would need a mission statement as such, but we realized actually it's really important. And the one we came up with isn't really that great, but I think it's really served us well. And what we want to do as a company is our aim is to see the best athletes chase. How have we facilitate that? Our aim is we want to see the best athletes chase. And so, um, at the moment, most of our athletes come from a parkour background, but one of the aims is to have the athletes training full time so we can see these elite sort of athletes um, training on the quad and competing on the quad. And that's that's the sort of company aim, see the best athletes chase. Yeah. Let, let's talk about the company. What's the structure at the moment? At the moment, the only real um, employees we have is such myself and Damien. We have, there's a guy called um, Marcus Mead, who I met him actually on youtube he was he made a comment on some video and uh, we got talking um like offline and he he's he was a young guy like parkour like young parkour not an elite professional parkour athlete but he used to film stuff and do parkour related videos at the time and he he was just about to start university doing like film something like this but he dropped out of that mainly because he felt that he knew a lot more about the camera operations and editing and the processes than his like lecturer, you know. And actually, we find that in the Parker community, a lot of people go down the same path of you know going to film school and just dropping out because they they they're much more advanced than either the lecturer or the rest of the class, you know. So he's sort of involved with us at the moment um right from the beginning he did all the events he even did the um the test shoot with us and um so he's there we also have um a a, a television professional called Mike Brosnan who we met initially who when he was with um working freelance with Sunset and Vine and Mike Mike was the one that helped us transition from just doing like predominantly YouTube to doing the sort of broadcast quality events that would be necessary to take it onto linear television. So he, he introduced us to channel four and he, he produced that show that we did for channel four, which then later went on to Gogglebox. They took an element from it. And then, um, and then shortly after that, we, 
um, we were speaking to some partners in the US and now they've taken some equity shareholding in the company. And this company, this, these partners are called um, Tupelo Honey Productions. And so Mike continued to work with us and, um, and the CEO of this company, uh, Carrie Glotzer. And we did a show initially for NBC. And then when that contract expired, now we've got a, um, a longer term deal with ESPN and a commitment to broadcasting them. So when we do events over there, um, Mike is still involved, um, but it's under a Tupelo Honey production. And then when we do events over here, um, like for television, these are produced by Mike. Yeah, those are the main um, like sort of freelance people that that we have, you know, that, and how our company is sort of set up. Um, but we have like a wider group of of people that we use around the world because right from the start we call ourselves like World Chase Tag, and we wanted we were interested in seeing this because this is an activity that's everywhere, right? So. And almost the problem I think that we have is that there's, we're almost spoiled by having too many different directions, but it's a really dangerous, it's a really dangerous conundrum because, you know, people talk about, oh, we should do anime or we should do merch or we should do a video game or VR, you know, because like with VR, for example, there aren't many sport, everyone talks about sport and VR. There aren't many sports that have such a contained area that we do. Our quad is 12 meters by 12 meters where we can actually incorporate cameras into the quad as part of the obstacle, you know, and there aren't many sports. You can't just plonk uh, like a, a 360 camera in the middle of a football field. The whole rules will change. You know? So, so we almost have like too much choice. And for us, it was very important that we decided like, like, okay, what are we going to focus on? And our main focus is events. Yeah. And events and, and, and developing those part, uh, partnership and, and then increasing our, our um our presence on social media mainly like at this stage like on youtube right so we do like algorithm friendly edits on youtube and then on our website we intend to do more maybe slightly longer edits that might be more sort of like fan based and that sort of thing you know but for us essentially our goal in, in the sort of short term is to create um a number of events around the world and we look at it like we call it the WCT event pyramid. So at the top of the pyramid, and it works a bit like, I suppose, like Champions League. At the top of the pyramid, you have the world championships, and we'd have one a year. The second row of the pyramid would be what we call continental championships. And we would split the world into three. So we have Pan America, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and we have Asia. And the idea would be to have three of those a year. Then the third row of the pyramid would be nationals. So we would do like US national, UK, China, that sort of thing. And then the fourth row would be like regionals. So who qualifies for the regionals? Now, how we would set up the company is that on the first two rows of the pyramid, i.e. the world championships and the continental championships, these would always be events that World Chase Tag produces ourselves. On the third row, the nationals, like the, U the US and the UK and France and this sort of thing, these are probably an area that we would want to maintain control over, but there are some territories that we would, we would give it up to on license. For example, in China, we've signed a deal with a company through our partners that we have in China, two guys called um, Carl Shapiro and Martino Chen, who are part of um, Shanghai Parkour Association or Link Parkour. And we are working with Go Sport. So we signed a deal with Go Sport and Go Sport through Carla Martino, they took and they did on a slightly smaller quad, eight meter, they took it round to um, 10 cities in China. And then it culminates in the China Championship, which would be under the um, Oriental Pearl in Shanghai on the, at the end of October. So we did that under license and, um, and that seems to be going really well. They're doing a really good job. Um, and that's sort of, yeah, the people there seem to be really taking it. So, and China's good because we, like, we don't speak Chinese. We can't use their social media. So Carla Martino set up a world chase like Billy Billy for us and, um, and monitoring it through there. And then with other countries where you don't even have the symbols, like it's hard to search and it's hard to communicate properly these countries will probably do like under license. Um, but 
the maybe more European countries, these are things that we will probably do ourselves, you know. And then when we come to regionals, we're working, again, we've split the world into the same three areas. We have one guy who is doing Pan America. His name is Mark Turok from American Parkour. And then for the Europe, Middle East and Africa, we're working with a guy called Loic Ascarino, who's part of, uh, he has a gym in Lyon called Kimio, which is part of like Ecole de Parkour. And then Asia is under the control of the guys in China, um, like Carla Martino. And the idea is that if a gym wants to do like under the World Chase Tag banner, we will have a certification program that as long as they had the right kind of quad and they did the right health and safety with the elements of the quad constructing it and also in um, in, in teaching it, um, then they could be um, like a WCT certified um, entity that could hold regional events. And so we will do it through them, you know, so between that, we try and like have everything so that it comes under the same umbrella, which is very important for us because the last thing you want is if we all divide it up and we were running like competitive tag and different things, then, you know, we won't be strong. And being a, a new sport, it's really important that, you know, we can get strength by we don't have the budgets that the other sports have. But if we have strength in numbers by uniting the world, this makes it easier for us. And eventually, when we do get through to the big global brands, then we'll have all the territories tied up. Yeah, it's an interesting model. I mean, it it sounds like, you know, commercially, it's almost like an events company would be run. You're very lean, but you work with lots of freelancers or it's like a, um, you know, a TV production company as well in that you have a kind of IP asset that you then work with other people to develop and, and license around the world. But from a sports perspective, were there were there models that you look to to guide you in that process? Did you look at the kind of traditional federation model that you get in you know in, in established sports like football, or did you look at the professional leagues? Where what made sense for you guys uh, putting this together? Yeah, I mean that that like that's an interesting question. But one of the things that we we always looked at, like IP was really important for us, right? Because you know, through having the controlling the rules. So we copyrighted the rules at an early stage and, um, and the rules are really important for us. And this is, we have um, like what we call when we were developing the sport, which is a slightly different question that maybe Damon could expand on. When we developed, we developed like a chase cycle and a definite pattern for doing everything. But, but for us, in terms of how we set up everything from a business point of view, yeah, we focused like on, on the IP, um, eventually we will do, we will do like a world cup type event where it's not at the moment. It's when I said it's like champions league, I meant in the sense that it's like Liverpool or Juventus or so, so that you can have different nationalities competing. It's where's the team is from. Yeah. It's not like an international event, like the world cup where you have France against England, against Germany, against Brazil. You know, so but eventually we will do that, and um, and when that happens, that I think probably requires some degree of federation, because it'd be very difficult to know who to pick the teams, and there'll be a lot of controversy and maybe animosity there. You know, so we need the federation as the sort of the buffer zone between us and 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 the athletes and that sort of thing. And we've had some preliminary conversations about that. Um, and eventually we will go down that route. But for the time being, the main thing for us is to just move forward with our current format. And where are you, where are you finding athletes from at the moment? What's the, obviously you don't have talent pathways and stuff set up, but, but where? Yes, mostly from the parkour community, mm. really. Um, at, when we first started, we were thinking the quad design was very open. So the initial idea was like, oh, it would be amazing to get like an American football running back to play against like a tennis player or a sprinter or a hurdler or something like that. That was the original idea. But then just from playing in the garden and having the meetups, we realized the more obstacles there are, the more interesting it gets. So that gradually over time, the quad design got more and more complicated, more and more complicated. And because of that, we realized, well, the best people for obstacles, negotiating obstacles, are parkour athletes. So, um, yeah, most of, most of the, and this may change in the future, but most of the athletes come from either parkour background or ninja warrior background or stuntmen who, who are used to um, 
you know, op- basically negotiating obstacles. Um, and I think over time that may change. Um, we've had a lot of people from American football be interested in potentially taking part. But I think some sort of grounding in parkour or ninja warrior um, will be essential. One of the people who's been really interested to compete, but unfortunately we haven't been able to get it together yet, is a um, Olympic silver medal hurdler, 110 meter hurdler. Um, he does a lot of ninja warrior programs now, and I think something like that would be very interesting. Um, so I think hopefully in future we'll have a wider background um, of athletes. But I think you know at the moment they all come from a, a parkour background, and I think that'll be the case for the next you know couple of years. Yeah, and particularly when you talk about the <laughs> the first thing that happened with someone banging their head against yeah, one of the exactly, obstacles, yeah. they, they do need to be pretty skilled uh, at that particular discipline. But it's that's an interesting point as well, and that's the thing that. Um, parkour athletes this is their environment they train like at you know hours and hours every day on scaffolding and walls and obstacles very similar so their um skill set you know we've been really fortunate because um and this is all luck it's not any kind of um you know skill on our behalf but we realized that tag was quite an interesting game and it was very entertaining if you got good people to watch it but also on the on the other side of that we had a whole community of people like parkour athletes that their skills just translate perfectly for this sport. And um, one of the really interesting things with parkour is that when we first started, even before we did our first event, I remember going to the British Library to try and get some information just on um, how many people do parkour. And I remember asking, um, asking the library you know, for this data, and they were saying, oh, no, parkour is much too much of a niche sport. They, they don't have any data. No one's done any research on it. So I was, I was just like, okay, fair enough, you know. And then literally about three years later, they did a, um, I think it was um, Sport England did a survey and it suddenly jumped up to a medium sized sport. So I think more people on a regular basis do parkour than skateboarding. Um, And that same trend has been mirrored all over the world. So suddenly this thing, um, I mean, it's only 20, sort of 20 years old, right from the origins of it. But even in the last 10 years, it's come from something that had no data on it at all to suddenly being this medium sized sport. And I think one of the things that helped it, well, that sort of made it go under the radar is that there's no equipment. You don't need any equipment to do it. You just wear a pair of trainers or some people even train barefoot. You can do it on the beach. You can do it in a city, up in the mountains, in woods. And so I think um, a lot of people don't really appreciate how big sort of the parkour community is. Um, and another interesting stat is that if you go into Google Trends on YouTube and you look up all the extreme sports um, over the whole world, more people are searching for parkour videos than any other extreme sport, more than sort of surfing, skateboarding, BMXing, anything like that. And so we were very lucky that we had these two things, you know, the parkour community and then the simple game of tag. And the combination of those two things, we realized was actually very entertaining to watch. So I think, you know, I think it was, it was luck on our behalf, but it was a kind of, um, it was a kind of an interesting situation. Yeah. So it's almost been an exercise in networking for you guys to, build enough connections with that community to get people who who can compete um do you see it as now wct as being like a companion or a partner not officially but kind of complementary thing to to parkour as parkour develops because obviously there's also you know in in to take it into the federation world for a second there are all kinds of disputes about who gets to run parkour and whether it's a part of gymnastics and, and all of this kind of thing? I think uh, parkour, I mean, we it has connections with parkour, obviously, but I think a better way of looking at it is just looking at it from a movement point of view. If you look at sort of just movement in general, you have sort of rock climbing all the way through to like break dancing, and that includes like tricking, in a way, gymnastics, um, you know, straight parkour, free running. And I think we're a, a sliver of that whole movement background. Um, and it just so happens that parkour athletes tend to be the ones that translate our skill to us. But I, I, I don't really think, I mean, it's not for us to really, from our point of view, we do chase tag. And there's very strong connections to parkour. Um, and, you know, we're flattered by it, but a lot of parkour people have sort of um, sort of said that this was, this is now a parkour competition. And it's, I mean, it's difficult to say whether we agree with that or not, because we just look at it, we do what we do. The parkour community is the best at, at, you know, at the sport that we do, the parkour community is the best at it. And so that's where the connection lies. But as far as we're concerned, we do chase tag. Okay, let's, um, let's turn it around and look at 
the fans and and your development of a, a fan base for World Chase Tag. What's I'll start with my reaction to the sport the first time I saw it. And I think I was saying just before we came on, I couldn't decide if it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen or if it was a, an act of complete genius. But I basically was flicking through the channels on Channel 4 on a Saturday morning and, you know, um, highlights of one of your events out in, in the US last year came on. But what's the what's been the reaction typically that you come across when you're that's the reaction <laughs> that's the exact reaction it's like um this is ridiculous but i really like it you know, or this is stupid but i can't stop watching it or something like that you know um so there's been some really interesting reactions and one of the really interesting reactions from the start was that people said um a lot of people said it gave them anxiety and to me i found that very interesting because it means that there's a i think there's if you go back to when we were cavemen the act of being chased or chasing <coughs> was a life or death situation. It always was. 400 years ago, or, you know, 4,000 years ago, if you were chased, you were being chased for your life. And I think there's some kind of um, emotional response to seeing being, people being chased. And so that was one of the reactions, that one of the positive reactions that we thought, actually, yeah, I think we're onto something here because it does have that reaction. But if, if I go back to the parkour community, like at the beginning, sure, people would like, what is this? Like, ah, this is crazy. I, I love it. Yeah. But there were people in the parkour community starting probably with like a team called Marrera Gang that looked at it and said, no, this is what I want to do. Right. And then we were very fortunate that a lot over the time, other people, there's an athlete called like um, Andy Toman who came to a meetup and he was like, yeah. Uh, this is I like, and he took it very, very, very seriously. And then he formed a team called what's called Eugen now with um, two other guys called Richard and Harun. Then Sebastian Foucault, who is the um, like recognized as being the founder of free running, and he was in the same group that started parkour with David Bell. And this is the stuntman from the Casino Royale opening scene. He called us up before. Like, I think it was the second event that we were doing. And he goes, I, I want to compete. I really like what you're doing. Yeah. And so there were some people that immediately saw, no, 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 I I'm taking this really, really seriously. For the fans, right, um, it was just like a, like a wide cross-section. And the way the YouTube algorithm works, it's mainly like boys aged between like 13 and going up to probably 35, yeah. Do, you know, and, and it's a, like a wide section. Yeah, probably people that like anime and people that um, like computer games were a high portion of it. Yeah. Some people, it would, the algorithm is going to people, a lot of people comments were saying, I don't really like sport, but I like this. Yeah. This is the only sport I want to watch, which I, I think is interesting. I'm not sure exactly how the algorithm is working and picking out some people. But over time, you know, like what we did to, to generate those early fans, we, because we didn't have any social media following, like when we did the first event, I think we, we, we had, I don't know, probably a thousand followers like on, um, on YouTube or something like that. And then um, after, shortly after we put out a couple of videos then Facebook kicked off. And then, so a lot of, at the time, Facebook had a different strategy. So a lot of the lad Bibles, the uni lads, they would typically ask us, oh, can we, show a clip of your video on our page. And so they got the benefit of that through, like, I don't know if they had associated marketing and they grew their channels a lot because it, some of these videos were getting 10 million, 20 million, because some of these pages like, like Unilad or Lad Bible had you know, 20 million followers or something like that, right? So, you know, through the, these people sharing the stuff, it went out to a huge volume of people, like a hundred million views like around the world and so we got kind of superficial fans or so or people i wouldn't even necessarily call them fans because they didn't necessarily subscribe to us but they were like oh i've seen that you know and, and that would that would go out and then over time we started to like more put our matches we started to understand how to do stuff like with youtube and when things started to kick off with youtube then we started to get like proper fans right but um, and Damon just like identified like what is sport like recently. So up until like relatively recently, 
what is world chase tag as a sport? Basically, we're action. Yeah. But sport is not just about action. And uh, Damon identified like two other key areas, right? Sport is about, it's about action to begin with, right? It's about emotion and it's about strategy. And I think for us going forward, we've only just really tackled the action. And what we've found since we started, I think probably after WCT4, right? So in time-wise, WCT4 happened like 2019. And we were on a really nice um, like momentum. And then for us, what happened with COVID was that that really threw our momentum because for us, when you're small, the only the best way for us to compete with some of the people bigger than us is to do international events, right? And to you know, and have I want to see how the Japanese does against the Americans, against the French, against the Brits. When you can't do that, it's it's a real problem. So we had these American investors that came in, um, like at the beginning of 2020, and um, the only thing we could do because of the ban on international travel. Was a, was a national competition. So we decided to go and do like the Americans. And around about that time, after we did the Americans, we did some other things as well. Like, and one of the things we did was we put out these um, playing cards. We were just trialing it to see like athlete trading cards. So we worked out a formula with Marcus um, and we've recently refined this formula with uh, a guy from, uh, called Max from... Um, from from Colorado and the formula works out. We have scores for the athletes that's based on like their tag time, their evasion time. We, we call it like their Z score, but basically they end up with a number that should be like how good you are as an athlete. Right. And so people it's created discussion. And what we've found now we've gone from just action, right? Now we're going into strategy and a touch of emotion. You know, the emotion haven't really kicked in yet. Um, but you definitely strategy has. And when you start, when you do get to emotion, because we have so many athletes and people are now, I find that the, our true fans are beginning to talk about more stuff. We, um, Mark Turok from American Parker started a Discord channel that's sort of quite active and popular where a lot of athletes could come on and a lot of fans could come on. So it's great for the fans because the fans get to meet some of the athletes that they've seen like on YouTube or on ESPN or wherever. And, um, and that whole interaction thing is working really good, but we, and it's helping strategy to people having now discussions about like this strategy and this guy is good and that guy is good. And so that's, I think for us, it's important that we, we were a bit worried at the beginning, like uh, does the sport have the depth that sport needs for these discussions to take place? Because over the weekend, we got the UFC, we got Anthony Joshua, and people are talking and talking and talking, right? And the fight could be over. You know, we, we might have a, collectively, there might have been hundreds and hundreds of hours of discussion. And then boom, somewhere it gets sparked in 10 seconds, yeah? And, and so, but we don't mind. We just, that's, you know, we're happy. We actually, we don't feel shortchanged. We think, yeah, that was all worth it, right? And so, you know, and that's part of sport. Blokes, we, we don't gossip. I don't care if this one is, uh, this one divorced, that one, he's this one. Who cares about that? We care about, you know, is this team going to win? Is that guy fresh? Is this guy injured? You know, these things matter to us, you know? And and so that that's a really important part. And then once we start understanding who the athletes are and the stakes, you know, once a bit more money comes into sport and, do pri- you know, then stakes goes up, then emotions come in. And then that's when it's going to, you know, it's just going to get even better, you know. What what does that mean for the development of the sport now? Because you also, I suppose you're coming along at an interesting point in in the development of uh, of sports fandom where individuals drive a lot of conversation and you can also create these kind of network effects by having people who are creating their own content or people who are, you know, uh, bringing their own followings to to something like this. Is it going to be the athletes who drive some of that attachment that you're talking about, some of that excitement, or are you going to need to build team brands? I know you kind of work with existing squads of, of parkour runners and stuff, but um, how, how do you see that developing? I think it's a bit of both, really. I mean, we're going to continue. Our main priority is to get the, um, the event pyramid sorted out. 
So we always look at ourselves, and that's one of the things we realized from the start, um, is that if we can show the best athletes, that's why we want to show the best athlete chase, then we, th- we kind of believe that if people see the pinnacle of the sport, then the grassroots will, grow, will kind of grow itself. With our help, it'll kind of grow itself. And so our main priority at the moment is to, um, is to continue with this um, event pyramid. For each event, we want, to, you know, we want to make team profiles and get people to know the athletes better. But what we're really unfortunate about as well is that a lot of parkour athletes, parkour kind of exists online and a lot of the content is created by the parkour athletes themselves. So each, you know, a lot of the good teams like Stara, they will create this amazing content. Um, and like a lot of teams, like one of the teams we have um, compete with us in the Americas is the Unknown Project. They have these weekly videos that are really, really nicely shot and they have some really nice content. So I think um, a lot of the... A lot of our teams will create vlogs at our events, videos at our events, and they'll um, have things of them training and things like that. So that'll help grow the sport and familiar, you know, people familiarize themselves with it. Also, what we're finding is that a lot of people around the world, um, and this you know, goes down to gyms or even people at school or even kids in their back garden. You know, we've been tagged in so many videos from literally around the world in India, Japan, Wales, Australia, of just people just recording their own 20 second chases. Um, and that's something we might try and do on a regular basis is compile all that footage and put together sort of regular, um, regular compilation videos of just fan chases. And so I think it's sort of come now, it's been strange. And even if you look at the last, you know, if you look at September and October, totally independent to us, we have an event um, in Le Mans, I mentioned um, Antwerp, Amsterdam, and in Shanghai. And so, and also there was a meetup, um, been a few meetups in um, America that people have recorded their own chase tag and had their own small meetups and competitions. So now we find right across the board, right from what we're doing at the, hopefully the top of the pyramid, all the way down to, from, to teams that compete with us, down to the true grassroots level, which is kind of just kids in their back garden. They're all creating content and tagging us in. So I think it's now a, a wide spectrum of, um, of different content, you know. We also like going back to the original question is like how will the like the wider what you're asking is how will the wider community contribute to the overall growth of the sport? And another very interesting element is one of the teams is a team called GNF. They've actually merged with uh, an esports team. I think it's one of the biggest esports teams in the world called Team Envy. And the team has changed its name to NVGNF, right? And I believe this is the first time that an esports organization has owned a property like outside of esports. You know, they've, you know, and it's sort of, it's the other, like West Ham, all the football teams own their version of esports, but this is the first time it's gone the other way where they've gone outside. And that's very interesting, like development, because in the future, if, Teams, if entities like Envy want to have an establishment with teams, then it means that the teams, that's one stage closer to the teams becoming more professional, having fees to pay for their training, um, pay for their travel, to do more events and this sort of thing. So this is a really interesting develop, a development for us. And it'd be great if one day you could have a situation where celebrities start instead of buying that tequila brand or that vineyard that you want to buy coming on a chase tag team what is the um what is the commercial strategy from here what's the what's the offer that you're you're making to brands to to partners you now have a a tv product it's got a quite distinctive look and feel but where do you what, what are the next steps commercially yeah for us i mean that's one of the benefits about being a smaller company is that we can work very and be very flexible with brands. So we offer the traditional assets that you'd have at an event, like the the on-quad elements. And we do have a lot because all of the obstacles can be branded. We have a border that could be branded. And then outside of that, we have usually like security barrier that they could be branded. And so our ideal way of watching it is something like your call, where you have a balcony looking down. And so that enables you to have more branding spaces on the side. Eventually, maybe we could get, um, when the budget allows, like bigger LED screens and that sort of thing. So there's these traditional assets, as well as we have like graphics, clock graphic, and then we have like scoreboard graphic and and these sort of things. Um, And then 
what we can integrate on various social media, which the rules on each platform slightly change about what you can and can't do. And then we, we can we can put stuff out on our website as well that we can do. So and then if they want to do more branded content or content marketing pieces, you know, we're very close with the athletes and we can work. We have a lot of people within the community that can film like broadcast quality footage. So they're all kind of opportunities that way as well. Let's talk about a couple of things uh, just to take us to a close. It'd be good to get from each of you either a benefit of starting a sport from scratch and coming into this industry and, and you know making some of the pictures that you might be making to brands and all that type of thing, or um, or something that you've had to think about that someone creating a new event in football or cricket or something that's recognisable um, wouldn't have to think about? I think one thing for us, one of the challenges for us was that everyone's familiar with tag, but no one is familiar with the format and the quad layout. And that had a lot of challenges because um, we had to sort of come up with the whole system of how do we, there's a lot of information about, you know, about who's chasing who, what the score is, how the score works, how the format works, when match point is and all this kind of things. And so that's been a real challenge to try and come up with a, um, a sort of format that's sort of easy and entertaining to watch and kind of keeps you on your toes. So we've come up with something that Christian, I think Christian mentioned it earlier called the chase cycle, which kind of introduces each point similar to tennis. I guess we say like chase three, Marrero gang evading three zero Marrero gang. And so all this sort of format also a, a lot of people quote this thing. We always say before the chase athletes ready before the chase starts. And so I think we've had this, it's been a strange situation, but also quite a, a good situation in the fact that there was there was nothing to sort of base it off. We had to come up with this whole thing ourselves. And another strange thing from watching the sport is that people we realised that people aren't going to be familiar with the layout of the quad. So we had to film it in a you know we've refined it over time, but we had to film it in a way where people kind of know where they are on the quad. And some cuts between camera angles are very confusing, and you sort of don't know where you are, and they kind of throw you off. And so a lot of those sort of things have been sort of challenging to kind of overcome. But I think over the, over time, we've kind of gradually got better at just trying to just simplify it, really. Um, and that's one thing that other sports that have been going on for a long time, they've had a lot of time to evolve and kind of refine their product. That, you know, that's been the hardest thing, I think, just working in this vacuum where we can kind of do what we want. And it's been very difficult. We've sort of strayed off a few times. But that's been one of the hardest things, really. Yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, the same, like, and the same point is, 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 a, is a plus and a minus. So we're not, you know, because we're not limited like other sports. If you're doing a version of football or a version of tennis or you're mixing two sports, like a lot of new sports seem to mix one with the other, yeah, and, or mix three sports or whatever. You know, for us, we don't have, you know, we don't have these limitations that other sports have. Right. And a traditional sport, sure, they might be more advanced because they got this. Like, say, for example, rugby X, you know, you got sevens rugby, now fives rugby. Right? So you pretty much know what's going on. You're just trying to make it more entertainment. So, but we're not limited by any of these things. Right. So we could be like, we could do whatever we want. And, and that's, a, that's a, a plus. The downside is when, like, my background is hotels, Damon's background is music. Neither of our backgrounds is sport. So, like, two guys just entering a sport, <laughs> you know, how do we know what, what to do? And it would have really helped if we were. Suppose we did decide, look, let's do rugby X, right? So, we got rugby sevens. How do we make rugby sevens better? You've got a definite blueprint. Okay, that's what we do. Now, let's make it better. Like, we don't have that. So, what sport should we look at? Like, they, like and we were, I searched high and low for, like, you know, I would look at, I don't know, like Frisbee, like uh, dodgeball, like um, drone racing, as well as things like rugby X, like trying to pick, 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 I, nothing. I don't see anything that I want or need or is relevant or applicable. Apart from possibly UFC. This is the only thing where we say that. And, and what, I, what I find other sports do is they try and, okay, we want to be a sport. So they do it like a sport. Yeah. And they have like commentator in a suit and, uh, and they ask these, uh, how do you feel going into the final game? And uh, I think I want to thank my teammates. And, you know, 
it's like uh, we're always trying to look at how could we do it differently. And to me, the UFC, it's like this combination of it's clearly a sport. It's not entertainment. And like Damon said earlier, we're not trying to create. There's enough drama in normal sport. You don't need to create extra drama through having this guy against that guy and, and making false stories. We don't need that. And we don't, we don't need it. We don't want it. Right. So how do you do it? And to me, the UFC is hundred percent the sport, but they, they package it in a way that's like entertainment, you know, and you could see it in the fans, you know, I've been to UFC games with you. It's like, they're, they're just head and shoulders in my mind above anyone else, you know, they're different. So there's only like, there's only, I think you could only sort of emulate them in, in philosophy rather than in anything practical, you know? So that's been the challenge is not having a, a guiding light that you can say, okay, yeah, this is the path that we don't, we don't like the path. There is no path. You're hacking, hacking, hacking. And eventually now we've reached a situation where actually maybe, yeah, we're slightly out of the clearing, you know, and we can see, but behind us is a clear, a, a much clearer path. Um, and, and we're just, we're lucky that we've arrived at that spot. You know, did we think that we would ever get, I'm not, not sure when I started, if thankfully I didn't think about it too much because if I had, I, I'd still be in hotels now probably. <laughs> but even things like the event format, I think our, um, our event format, we used at WCT USA 20, um, 2020, that's, I think, the structure of things we'll use at the World Championships. 16 teams, there's kind of um, four groups of four group stages, and it sort of goes into a knockout sort of section of it near the end. And I think even things that get right down to the, the format of the tournaments and the format of the event pyramid, all of that, we, it took us a long time to work out how that was going to work and how many teams we could have and where the teams would come from and how many people in each team and how many people can do how many chases per night and per day. All of that is this complicated web of like a matrix of different things that affect each other. And gradually, gradually, it's sort of starting to crystallize now. You know, but a lot of the time, we, like we, for example, we didn't really know how many chases an athlete would be able to do um in one night you know and that makes a big big difference for the whole structure if if athletes were half as fit as they were now if you snap your fingers and athletes are half as fit it changes everything down just a small thing like that suddenly oh now they can do less matches so the format has to change or maybe do we need more people in the team and all this kind of thing and so it's it, it's it's all this kind of matrix that a, a sport like football has had years and decades to work it all out and crystallize and and figure it all out that's one thing that um, that I think for a long time it's just this kind of nebulous kind of thing that's gradually started to as we've learned more about the quad design and the um, just everything is all st starting to come together a bit now you know um, and that's been a weird process because like I say from the start it was just a vacuum at the beginning there was no reference points or anything like that you know could have gone in a million different directions and I think we're both really happy with the direction it's taken you know. Well, that's where we've got to. Just uh, quickly to to finish up, what's what's next for WCT? I mean, we touched on before, like Damien's concept of like like ace, like A S E. So action. We've been doing this since the beginning, um, and that's improving, and we're happy with the action and everything that the quad and the athletes deliver. Strategy is coming on. People are talking more about strategy. Teams are becoming more aware of strategy. It's becoming, people are referring it to like chess, you know, and the, the quad is the, the playing area. The third area that we need to really focus on, which I'm really excited about, is emotion. How are we going to get that? And we are talking to a company about the possibility of at WCT5, which we're hoping to do in the new year, subject to Corona and international travel and this sort of thing. We're hoping to do uh, like a six-part documentary. So we're in discussions with them now. And that, to me, is a really important development for the future because that gives the fans an opportunity to really see the emotions and understand the personalities and the characters behind the athletes that compete in World Chase Tag. And I think relative to other sports, I think we have some fascinating characters in Chase Tag stroke parkour that really should be explored. 
And that I'm really excited about. But for, and from an event um, point of view, I think the aim for the next few years is just to um, really kind of get these event pyramids sussed out. And um, hopefully in 2022, we'll be able to do, our aim is to have, you know, um, the three continental championships that all feed into the world championships. Um, and so hopefully over the next few years, we'll be able to sort of have those four events a year and maybe even some um, national qualifiers to feed, um, feed below that. Guys, it's, it's a fascinating story already and it will be uh, quite something to, to see what comes next. But thanks very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us on. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming on and uh, best of luck with everything. Great, take care. Great, thank you very much. Cheers. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. 